Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Talking Cloud. My name's Grant Asplund. I'm here with my expert, brilliant uh, co-host, Patrick Pusher. How are you, Patrick? Doing awesome, buddy. How are you? Good, good, man. It's great to see you. I'm so excited about this week's episode. Uh, I mean, we're going to have an awesome guest. Uh, it's going to be really, really terrific. But uh, I want to just let's just jump in and get into the newsroom because I think there's some interesting things we can talk about. So sounds good. Let's do it. The first thing I I mean, talk about job security, man. I mean, can you believe it? The forecast for cloud security is compound annual growth rate of eighteen point one percent. For seven years, 22 to 29. That is just off the hook. Yeah, staggering. It really is. It's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, you know, and what I, I guess for me, what's so amazing is this is cloud security, Patrick. This is not security. You know, yeah. anything else. This is cloud security. I think it just really, really shows um, it's off the hook. And you can see some of the data. I think you can read, you know, that, uh, you know, 33.13 billion is what it's forecast to be this calendar year. I mean, that's pretty good size, uh, Tam, if, if I'm building a new product. But what no, I think no it also speaks to is how fast moving and how many new, I mean, how many new startups do you hear about? Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that's just really remarkable is the number of new startups. It's just crazy. Yeah. But you wonder, you wonder how, how, how much that market can sustain, right? And, but then you see when the market grows at that rate, kind of for sure, right? And I, I agree. It's likely. It, it's like our own universe expanding. Yeah. There, it's getting bigger. You know, and, and uh, I think right it's it's likely our, sort of you know two phenomenon. You you spoke about the the rate of people moving to the cloud. That's certainly I think the biggest factor. The second one is likely the the maturity of those there understanding right as they use more and more cloud native conventions in their app architecture. They understand how hard it is to secure them. Right. Totally, totally, and this if there's an example of why the growth in the market is so great is first ever uh, Denonia. It's named after the domain that it uh, actually uses to communicate. But first malware ever targeting AWS. Pretty amazing. Written in Go. Lambda. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is amazing. Crypto miner, I think, is is uh, what it is. Uh, and I was reading this, and honestly, I went, don't. Like they were quoting, you know, Homer Simpson. But, uh, of course, there's an acronym for everything, DNS over HTTPS. But that's really fascinating because it obfuscates that critical uh, uh, resolve uh, a resolution, if you will, that has to occur for the communications, right? I mean, people, uh, I thought that was really interesting that, you know, when you're passing DNS over HTTPS. If you're not inspecting your HTTPS traffic, you're at risk to this one, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and, and DNS, especially like cloud-hosted DNS, is one of those vectors. You know, I think even in our intro episode last week, I said it. If you know enough about the cloud environment, you don't even need the network, right? And so if you're if you're hosting your DNS on 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 your you know public infrastructure as a service provider, AWS for example, right? If I have credentials that allow me as a bad actor, if I have credentials that allow me to log in with enough power to manipulate your DNS, right? I I can do crazy things. It it it, it is insane how much of a threat vector name resolution kind of really is, right? You can send people who think they're doing the right thing to password harvesting websites, right? So it's it's really really critical. Yeah, it's it's uh, 
it's I, we were talking earlier. I, I just find it fascinating that you know how I managed to fall into this whole space called security was in the early uh, part of 1998 when Checkpoint acquired the first company on the planet that ported Bind mm-hmm. to Windows and made Windows DNS. Sure. Uh, this was you know 95, 96. Uh, MetaInfo was that company. Um, but it's remarkable to me how uh, really, you know, kudos to Gill and Shlomo and Checkpoint on that vision of understanding, you know, hey, we've got dynamic DNS now and DHCP. If we could somehow tie that into the Active Directory and the host name that's assigned, now I can start to build policy that sources grant destination is Patrick instead of the proverbial 1.2.3.4. That's dot right. Four. But of Identities, course, right? Identities. Um, yeah, boy. Yeah. Speaking of which, we'll move on to my last story that I wanted to mention. Um, Gartner's kind of put together their what you really should be focused on in 2022. They've identified what they say are the top risk issues. And I just thought it was interesting expanding attack surface we all know that uh yeah we just talked about more than one of those right in in lambda malware boy there's a brand new attack surface we have we have users super concerned and vendors salivating right here's something else i can kind of solve solve exactly which you know is very much the second bullet the solar winds introduced us and then the multiple other examples of how critical our own supply chain, our own yes. uh, software development life yes. cycle is to checking and securing. Uh, and they've got that one, number two. Number three, you know, this one, Patrick, we both uh, really believe strongly in, but the world of identity. I mean, it is going to become such a huge issue uh, in the cloud as everything shifts to based on identity, right? Yeah. Because everything has an identity. Everything has an identity, and there's a whole lot more of everything when we think about microservices, right? Our apps have to be super agile, and they have to withstand downtime. So we, you know, we write these pockets of services that communicate with each other, and that it just the proliferation of identities is incredible. So yeah, that, that's not a surprise to see there at all. This is interesting how they're you know saying distributing the decisions, which... You know, uh, I I think that that's a good thing to try to make sure the entire organization really understands the critical importance uh, of security, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. A lot of data security standards focused on doing just that, making sure the policies are kind of organization-wide for sure. Yeah, of course. We know... uh, important to teach your users more than just be aware vendor consolidation i thought was really an interesting one patrick because boy this one is so contrary to what has been the modus operandi for the last several years i mean arguably the last couple of decades right best of breed best of breed best of breed Uh, and now because the attackers are ahead of us and understand Oh, the left hand's not talking to the right hand or similar. Uh, they can figure out how to exploit it. So it's really, I think, a great opportunity for, for vendors, uh, especially the big behemoths, to really tighten their laces across their entire portfolio and demonstrate that. I think there's some real, real value. I think Checkpoint's, frankly, if I do say so myself, in a really good position there with their infinity architecture. Um, Yeah. I thought that one was interesting. And then, um, you know, the the ever-present cybersecurity mesh. Uh, you know, this, he, I thought it was funny. I, wasn't it you that made a comment about, you know, they make it sound so simple and easy. Um, oh, but yeah. Is anything in, yeah. far from that? For sure. There was a dedicated article about that mesh somewhere, and it doesn't matter who wrote it or where it lives. But yeah, I think the opening statement was as long as you have this, I mean, you'll be almost guaranteed great, great access policy. It's like, oh, my Lord. Uh, it's no wonder 
we're lost, especially when it comes to identity with vendors and, 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 you know, solution providers saying things like that. Right. I mean, it's, this is a, it's, it's a tough, complex, multi-angled problem. Right. Um, one of the things that, that, that you chatted about that I want to talk a little bit about, right. Was now we have this new threat vector of, uh, uh, of Lambda vulnerabilities, uh, something that no doubt, will will start a, a bit of a fear, uncertainty, and doubt campaign, right? But at the same time, we have Lambda expanding in how it's used, right? And making it easier to trigger those Lambda functions from places inside your app, places outside of AWS. So I guess uh, AWS has in, uh, uh, introduced some new functionality uh, around uh, uh, Lambda function URLs uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, and really the only point is, you know, we're expanding the use of Lambda it's not just us as practitioners who see the value. Obviously, as we lean on it more and more, we have bad actors who, you know, are going to do the same. It's it's a hugely powerful. I mean, if you read the article that you shared, you know, they actually took that code run by Lambda, ran it in a in a Linux instance, right, with the stack built and simulated the problem. And so, yeah, I mean, functions as a service or only as a service to us. They still run in an engine in our cloud provider. That's still vulnerable, right? So this is a vector we're going to have to think about, especially as we rely on it more and more for sure. Yeah. And this, I think it just totally epitomizes what will continue to happen, meaning there are going to be exciting new innovations on the tech side. Mm -hmm. And the bad guys are going to noodle and, and look at it in ways we don't and figure out how to do something always. nefarious with it. Always. It's, it's that. Always. I mean, cat and mouse, back and forth, back and forth. That's right. That's why in, in security, we never make statements that say things like, we guarantee, right? Because they're necessarily always. untrue. Yeah, always. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. And, and hey, here's a really good example of that because we've come to lean on multi-factor authentication as this panacea of proving your identity. But we're finding out that bad actors are one step ahead of us again, right? And I thought this was really, really important if you haven't kind of heard the most basic um, versions of multi-factor authentication. And those include sort of uh, uh, notifications to another device, right? You're trying to log in to your security platform of choice. It tries to send you a notification via an app on your mobile phone, for example. Those are relatively easy for bad actors to sort of even trigger legitimately. And a lot of those, and I'm, I'm, I'm not including CSPs in this bucket, but a lot of them don't have tight enough controls. If you read this article and, and they, they introduce this co uh, concept called MFA bombing, a lot of those service provider MFA triggers don't really have a lot of controls around them. So what, what this group actually does is, is you know, they, they take over your account. They try to do a reset password, for example. That sets off the MFA to you via some channel. And they will spam that. And worse, the platform will allow them to do that. And they'll, and they'll do it at, at strategic times. They know, like in North America, you'll be sleeping. They'll do it at 2 a.m. So they know, you know, you'll wake up in a stupor. You'll have 50 notifications. Don't you'll have say, your glasses on. Yeah, you'll <laughs> say yes to one of them, right? So it's like a combination of social engineering and really bad Gen 1 MFA support by, you know, by the service providers themselves, they're 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 coaching you know use methods that that are a little more robust that are proven that are you know on the same device but but are multi-factor. There's a lot of advice in here, but I think the takeaway is Gen One multi-factor isn't enough anymore. So you know we'll probably solve that by combination of user education and you know better tech to, to the point you just made for sure. I I was reading where. I mean, a lot of times you're talking about even just in the clear, right? Text, uh, an SMS or uh, oh, iMessage, yeah. right? I mean, th that gets used frequently, uh, enter in this code, um, but I could certainly see how the bad guys um, could exploit that, right? It'd oh, for sure. That. Yeah, SMS is terrible. For you know, there's not only is it clear text; it's so trivial to spoof the origin that yeah, I mean for sure that one, the the, the clear text MFA SMS channel should almost not exist anymore, in my opinion, for sure. It's too easy, too easy. Well, amazing stuff happening, and boy, I guess the thing we know for sure, brothers, we got uh, some job security for a while because uh, uh, it, there's no end in sight. There, there's no end in sight. That's right. So, That's right. hey, we uh, 
we got to go and meet our next guest. We do. And boy, this week, pretty. Let me just say, if you know the sounds of a grandfather clock, you'll know the company TikTok. <laughs> Uh, it, it's really cool. We've got Roland uh, joining us this week, and I hope you I hope you enjoy it. Let's go meet him. So we're thrilled and excited to have the global chief security officer from TikTok, Roland Claudia. Roland, great to have you, man. Thank you so much for being on Talking Cloud. Hey, Grant, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. This yeah, uh, man. is always a fun one, man. So, gosh, you're a busy guy doing lots of stuff. I think you've seen the questions that I got all okayed by Maureen and the gang, so we weren't going to ask you anything too private. <laughs> of course, you're welcome to talk about and take the conversation any way you want. I just got through giving the proverbial... Uh, you know, Reader's Digest list of your career starting from U.S. government. So I, I kind of rattled all that off. I don't know if there's anything you want to add for Z-axis or if we want to just go yeah, diving just into it. Jump right some, into it. Yeah, let's baby. Just hit it. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm curious, I mean, there's no more cloud-native, cloud-pure company on the planet so I'm thinking you're somebody who I'd love to know. Are you seeing any interesting cloud security trends or movements or directions that are unique in any way? What's going on in cloud security? Yeah. So, Grant, when, you know, I think in general, the end user spending on cloud management and security services are just just way on the rise. Right. I mean, I, I think in in every area, including government, which is a telling sign. If you think about, when you think about FedRAMP and everything that was happening in that area, the use of cloud in that adoption yeah. was minor. But, you know, the reality is that they're really embracing that as an internal and an external mechanism. So it's it's really demonstrating kind of the maturity of, of cloud platforms and themselves and the trust that people are putting into it. Mm -hmm. I think what we're also seeing in, so we're cloud native, so predominantly um, everything we do is, is is built into our cloud environments. But yep. what, we're, what we're seeing from partners and other people in the industry is really a hybrid and multi-cloud environment. You know, for instance, you know, we have our own internal uh, clouds. We partner with other clouds for certain things. And uh, I think what you see is even enterprise organizations using multi-cloud capabilities for either specific technical reasons and or for redundancy, high availability, um, globality, um, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. I, I saw, you know, I recently saw this survey, and it was a, it was a crazy number. It was like um, from, from CIOs or IT leaders, like 95% said making multi-cloud is a strategic priority, not just something they're being told to do or mm. requirement, but it is, it's a strate uh, strategic priority. So, yeah, I, you know, I think um, we're, start we're starting to see the uptick, uptick on attacks on cloud as well over the last yeah. couple of years. So it's, it's here. It's here in a big way. Yeah. So I, have, I need to apologize profusely for not appropriately and properly introducing you to my expert co-host. Now, you've heard me talk about on this uh, podcast where I always say I'm no expert, but I know where to find them. And I decided instead of always casting that to the wind, I'm going to just bring one along with me. So I want you to meet Patrick Pusher. Uh, Patrick is, I mean, I don't know, what was it, 12, 2012 when you got into cloud or was it before that? Yeah, but ish. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Roland. So it's, it's a pleasure, ago. Roland. Uh, yeah. How are you, Patrick? It's a I, I, I nice just, to meet you, you know, because Patrick and I are going to kind of volley some of these questions back yeah. and forth. But I, yeah. I just felt like shit. I didn't do a very good job introducing him at the front end. So shame on me. No problem. Poor, poor hosting technique. By that's I mean, okay. Come you, on. you got you got Patrick as a backup. So 
That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, hey, now I'll I'll take the reins and maybe just piggyback off of what maybe one of the things you just said, Will. And you know, you mentioned you're you're definitely a, a, a cloud first organization, but you've got multiple environments. What's it like to you know when you've got a new initiative, new piece of technology, whatever it is? What is some of that decision making criteria? Right? Do you take it to your main public platform? Do you take it to somewhere else? I mean, I imagine it's a mixture of you know, cost, risk, performance, right? What what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is the discussion of Biverse Build. I mean, we're one of the largest and fastest growing technology companies and cloud companies in, in the globe in, in, in general. So we have to think about things like capabilities at scale, a, a availability and, and, and capability to interact with our custom design stack. Um, so we, we start our, our kind of a review with, uh, Biverse build. Um, I, I think we also are fortunate enough with we have some incredible talent on the technology and infrastructure side of uh, the, you know the TikTok um, engineering organization. So we often uh, have an opportunity to throw thousands of engineers at a problem very quickly to solve it. So um, I, I think predominantly we look at. Can we use a system that meets our time-to-market needs, that meets um, the scalability needs, and then we go into kind of the normal, you know, uh, risk-based third-party review on how we're going to accomplish this? Sure. So, Roland, I'm curious. I mean, you you are a very progressive, innovative company, and I'm sure even outside of the engineering group, you've got a lot of real technical, smart people. So my question is, is shadow IT a problem? I mean, do do those other groups that aren't within your organization get impatient and want to run out and try to uh, build their own or come up with their own solution? And I mean, is that a problem? And how do you how do you really keep a hold a hold or control on that? Yeah, I mean, so, everything's just a credit card away, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> well, I mean. We, we are a cloud, right? If you think about the, the cloud infrastructures we own and manage, they're, they're simply massive. So I have less of a problem, I think, than a lot of my peers because simply we have it here. People don't need to go to AWS or GCP or, you know, mm-hmm. sure to, to, to set it up. But our, our environment is that environment. So, <laughs> you know, our teams provide, you know, a lot of support to the entirety of the organization, but they don't have to go through us. Uh, from a shared service model to embrace the cloud development organization. Um, and our platform's really, really highly specialized. If you think about it, um, you know, we have our own stack, we have our own codex, we have our own mm. networking and SDN infrastructure. We have, that is all our own proprietary code. So connecting wow. and deploying the right people with the right uh, technology and tools is, is done fairly easy inside with all of the automation we have for that. Even I, you know, and, and they don't even let me next to consoles anymore, right? Um, but even I can very easily go up and stand up an instance necessary in one of our cloud environments hmm. um, to, to test the functionality. I was doing something recently with our forensics team. I wanted to see how we could, you know, potentially do, um, uh, you know, essentially a, a joint collection capability in different geos for regionalization. It was able to select locations, hmm. what I needed. Self-built. I mean, it's getting so easy. Even people like me can can do it internally. Wow. Um, and and we have these, you know, cloud and shared operational tools that we provide as, or our IT partners um, provide mm. as um, uh, standard tooling. Like you come in, you get a laptop, you get your email, you get you know access to the you know our internal uh, tooling, and poof, you can do it. So it's wow. it's, it's pretty good. We did. We don't even think of it um, as rogue IT or shadow IT. The, right. the reality is everyone in here can develop. Everyone in here can innovate. Everyone mm. should have access to the technology. And so we just control the environment and give them onboarding paths to do Yeah, that. you guys are your own biodome. It's, it's your own <laughs> kind of enclosed environment, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that concept. I'm going to use that next week. Okay, you can. Just give me a little credit <laughs> once in a while. You know, you, when we'll you're wearing it. my that piss T-shirt, <laughs> perfect. That's right. That's right. You know, but but part of that, I wonder, Roland, is part of the motivation for automating so much. You know, we hear so much about the the skills gap, being able to find you know enough of the sort of skilled 
cloud-specific, cloud-native DevOps engineering, DevSecOps, right? Is is part of the motivation to automate so much, you know, to have the tools do more in the face of, you know, not not having enough of a a line on on qualified, you know, people at scale? You know, I I, I understand we're talking about an organization, a technology organization here, unlike most, for sure. Yeah, I I think... I think the skills gap is a different question. I'd love to actually dive into that. That I mean, that, that that's a uh, a large um, thing that I'm focusing on right now. Um, but no, I, you know what? I, I think it's guardrails. I think it's the ability to do things at speed within guardrails. So we we connect, we create the tools to allow the river to run inside the banks without spilling over. Um, but have high enough banks to be able to go where it needs to go and when it rains and when the snow melts, so to speak. So um, it, it, it enables us to do things like configuration assurance, our by design process, so security by design and privacy by design, right? Um, most people call it SDLC. We call it by design. But um, when, when people are moving between, say, dev, QA, Post QA and then um, you know uh, hosting environments or prod environments, um, we have specialized checks that make sure that 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 code is part of an approved project and program that has been through the by design and that those controls were implemented and if not, it gets sent back. So putting checks and balances and gate through the autom- to, through the automation allows us allows for people to do great and crazy things, but keeping them on the right path and ensuring. Um, that there is opportunities to steer people back maybe when they start to go outside the bank. So that's, I, I think that's how the automation really helps us. But, you know, you're, you're, you're not wrong when you say, is there a skill gap in, in the industry in general? Because, you know, people are the foundation of any organization. I don't care if you're high tech, you know, an app or what, um, you know, it, when you don't have the right skills or the right practitioners, um, it's it's difficult to execute your mission space. Let's pull on that a little bit. I mean, you said that was something you wanted to talk about and you're, you're really interested in skills gap. I mean, we've heard that from, I mean, I've been hearing it now for I'd say probably the last at least two years. It's been a real loud drumbeat, but I would argue even longer, right? Yeah. And it just seems like it continues to be a problem. So... How do we how do we narrow the gap? Because I don't think it's possible to close it, uh, not anytime soon. I mean, it, it is possible, obviously, but it's just how long is it going to take, right? Yeah, we we should have done a, a whole session just on this. But let me let me see if I can distill it down to the few things that we're doing. First is um, you you really have to define people's jobs, right? We start with you know typical job families. Um, what their jobs are, but we've actually hired people that um, are solely focused on what we call practitioner enablement, right? There, there's an executive on my leadership team. Their job is called practitioner enablement. And and part of their programs that they deliver for, for our, our teams is to make sure that people have paths. They know where they want to go. And whether it's in their IDPs or whether it's in, you know, I want to be a CISO someday, or you know, I don't. I want to be a CEO. What What is our path in the time that we have them to get them there to engage them and give them a meaningful experience? Part of that is the training and upskilling opportunities we have to give as an organization. So, how do you carve that out? How do you make that part of your PL, part of the time based management of your organization? So, how do you, mm-hmm. we partner with outside organizations specifically to invest in our people? And, and, you know, I think we, our people have the ability to do anything if you hire the right folks that are mission focused, want to be doing this type of work, um, and uh, you give them those tools. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think, you know, we always say, come here, you can build a career here. Um, you don't have to be just in risk management. You don't have to be just in cloud ops. You just mm-hmm. don't have to be in any specific area. You want to be a forensic CSI specialist in a couple of years? Let's get you on that path. So we offer really this wide, wide range of, uh, of, of critical infrastructure training, 
you know, data defense, access assurance, anti-fraud, all of these different programs, um, we, we invite people to come in and extend their careers uh, based on the programs we have in place. I mean, think about it. You, you can go from cyber defensive operations to over the horizon threat monitoring and threat intel within a couple of years. And, and I think that's what makes our company special and other companies that are doing this as well. Every day is a new challenge because, yeah. you know, we're, we're building this capability with our team. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we're, you know, we're going to continue to build the disciplines we have based on where the world's going, threat impacts to our environment, and where the technologies go. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought that a large part of my organization would have been an intelligence group five, ten years ago. Did we need threat intel? Absolutely. Was it threat-led defense as a, a, a way of how we address controls and in our risk? Yeah. But uh, as as a large integral part of a multidisciplinary threat uh, a threat intel group, I would not have imagined it would have been so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's <clears throat> the world is definitely continuing to change. I think it's interesting, and in what you speak to is the critical importance of kind of making sure I I. I have a purpose, right? I mean, it's like I have a direction, I have a goal, I have some things I want to accomplish, and that's a. Um, I think that's a hallmark of a great employer, right? That they provide that for you. Yeah, I'm curious, Patrick. Um, uh, don't mean to be the questioner getting or the question answer asking questions, but. Um, you know, how, how do you see it as a practitioner? You're a senior guy. You've been in the industry a long time. What gets you up in the morning to, to, to go do this every day? It, it's a good question. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking the challenge is even wider in this sort of necessarily remote kind of COVID and post-COVID era, right? That's It's changed for me. What got me up in the morning a lot of time was engaging you know, w- with customers, with people using technology directly. Of course, we did that uh, very oftentimes I'm way up here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, right? So for me, it's always necessarily remote, but a big part of that was the human contact too, right? And now we're not only trying to find all those skilled people, we're trying to train them, retain them, make them feel super valued necessarily at a distance. I mean, it's it's challenging. I know, you know, I'm in the business of, of building s- small startup, uh, you know, for, from nothing companies and it's there's a massive difference. It couldn't have been easy at, at, at TikTok, right? Certainly, no. not only do you have the remote employee challenge, you have potentially have the, you know, even more rapid growth of TikTok given the, you know, given the fact that everyone's on their phone almost, you know, 100% of the time in, in this era, right? So you've got it from both sides. Yeah, we, I, I think what um, what we've been able to do that is, is important is in our um, – we have a really cool hiring process. And some people think it's torturous. Other people think it's the best thing since sliced bread. I, I'm on that sliced bread kind of side of things because it gives us the opportunity to dig deep, right? You could have someone that says, hey, I like, I like the TikTok swag and I'd like TikTok sneakers. I'd like to go work there and I'm really good at it, uh, you know, at what I do. Um or you could have someone come in the door that says, you guys have a billion people that use that platform. My kid is on that platform or will be on that platform. I want to protect it, right? That's the person I want. That's the person that gets that I have, you know, the responsibility to protect the last sunniest corner of the Internet, that I have a billion users around the globe that depend on this platform to for them to be themselves, for us to deliver happiness. Like, in, in, in seeing that and going, yeah, that's... That's something I want to get up and go, you know, fight for every day. Um, and, and making sure that you're hiring through the process in any of those jobs to make sure they're essentially mission-centric individuals. And and um, so we take the time to do that, and that's, and that's how we keep kind of that succinct capability. Well, and I think what that also does, uh, Roland, is – you know, the proverbial Groundhog's Day that so many people in the security uh, world feel they go through, right? With con- it, it, Our spam is alerts, so it's looking at consoles, looking at alerts, and it's I get to get up and do it again tomorrow. I mean, that's how, you know, organizations that aren't sensitive to the need for accommodating what I'm about as opposed to what you want done. Because that's, I think, what's different, right? You're focused on me uh, as opposed to looking at the business and saying we need to get this data from my employees. Does that make sense? It does. And and I think people 
want want to know. I, I think, especially in, in in our in our career fields, right, guys? So, like security risk and privacy people, they do this for a reason. It it's not because it, it's like you become a cop for a reason. You go into the military for a reason, and yeah. and I think when you're in this job, you want to know, and in in many other careers too, that what you do counts. What you do, it matters. Sure. And, and so you have to, as as leadership, we have to show to them how it matters. We have to be transparent, as transparent as we are to our outside customers and partners and users on the platform. We have to have that transparency inside. It's why I do silly TikTok videos. It's why I do every month global all hands. It's why I do, you know, uh, updates, video updates. I send out to the whole team to keep them engaged, to let them know what they're doing, to let them know um, how they're impacting the company. Because without that, um, you know, you can get into this, you know, the blinders on, fog over you, coding away, doing Drift. operations, and you're like, what What am I doing here? Yeah. Um, it, and, and, and sometimes you need people to show you what you're doing here. Yeah, and boy, I think to Patrick's point in this era of COVID especially, uh, it, it's easy to get untethered and, and, yeah. and feel adrift uh, and not really connected. Right, Patrick? That's right. Sort of a lack of trust, almost like zero trust. How's that for a segue? <laughs> oh, no. Zero trust. Can it happen? Well, yeah. I mean, boy, if if cloud was a mismarketed term back when it first came on, you know, the scene, zero trust is, is the current one, right? And it... it, it it, it aspires to be something that's theoretically great in practice. You know, you wonder just how far you can sort of go on this continuum of, you know, n- no trust. But I'm interested in your perspective for sure. I, I you know, I think zero trust gets beat up a lot. I, I you know, so I'm so, you know, long live PKI. Just kidding. Um, but <laughs> but on a, on a serious note, like. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you instantiate it at a, you know, a device level based on regionality or location, uh, individual IDM. Well, however you look at zero trust, I think valid validation and limiting your threat surface based on managing connections regardless of where you are in your environment or your adjacencies, you know, you, you create this capability to add that checkpoint, right? And I think that's... That's super, super important. I think I think it is real. I think companies that can do it well, so you have a conglomerate of applications that, that equate to a product, but they, you know, you only want them talking to specific services between devices. Like that's a right. minimal instance, right? Mm-hmm. That you can that you can do tomorrow in your environment. I think right. When you think about um, data defense and access assurance, these privilege versus no privilege. So, how do you how do you instrument an environment to do um, platform capable revocation of of uh, IDM access, and then build in um, a managed process for access? You know, through you know a very specific mechanism. I mean. It's it's it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I think a lot of the people that that poke at that poke at zero trust take the zero way too far. Um, it should mm, be that's a good point. Yeah, it should be um, not a lot more than zero trust. <laughs> it should right. be as, as, you know, as close as possible as, 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 as you can. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's never going to hit right. zero trust. Um, it, but you know, start. I, I think start somewhere. Start with. You know your your products or your collection of an application that's a deliverable service to yeah. you know as a product or internally or um, you know you can start an infrastructure you know infra- in- yeah. infrastructure talking to infrastructure I mean just start slowly and build it up and, and it'll get there um, but management is tough right like this isn't a well let's do it in independent enclaves around the globe this has to be done in a uh, global managed fashion, and you have to have people that know how to do it and yep. implement. And I'm not kidding about long live PKI, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where those that's where those rails really help, right? They give those people the confidence that I'm not going to do something. You know, I don't necessarily have to be an expert in security if I'm, you know, just proving a concept or something. I know that I can do it. Fairly relatively good confidence, I can do it, right? Because I've got that wrapper, that TikTok approved wrapper around, and I think that's that's part of the guardrail story too, right? For sure. 
Yeah, for for sure, Patrick. I, I you know I look at. Let me give you a simplistic version. Um, home firewalls or just Soho devices, right? You know, um, a few years ago, a lot of the manufacturers came out with this capability for people to say, um, "I use gaming, or I use this, or I use that," and it did its version of zero trust. Essentially saying, "I'm going to allow, only going to allow these ports and protocols to this one device on the network." Tell me. Hmm. You know, tell me which device is it? The PS5 that's registered here on your wireless network? Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know, and, and so people, you know, um, commercial entities, you know, have have gotten to the point where they're starting to embrace this as a part of product. Right. I mean, and if you think about how mobile devices work now from a privacy assurance perspective, and the things that um, uh, both Apple and, and and Google have done with. Um, we're going to start with we're not going to allow applications to do certain things. We are going to um, ask the user if they would like uh, something to be added, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. a form of zero trust. So as long as we all it think is. about it in that way, um, uh-huh. I, I think it's a promising uh, promising opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that all the way to, you know, how many times do we, uh, uh, a security analyst, sort of read about a, a database tier of an application open to the world, right? It's it's that, too. And why why in the heck is your, you know, your, your database should trust your application tier? There's that word again, right? Only. But, of course, you know, many hands in the kitchen, uh, starting not starting from approved process, not starting, you know, people... There are so many different levels of cloud and security maturity within a single organization, right? Across business units, across project teams. I mean, really, truly having that centrally, at least from a risk perspective, that centrally kind of managed top-down perspective, it does give the whole organization the confidence to innovate. I mean, from from my perspective, for sure. Yeah, I couldn't. Agree. I couldn't agree more. Listen, if I if if I don't have to worry about all that extra stuff and I pass my security checks, why wouldn't I embrace it? And I've yeah. got a portal I can go to anytime. I can spin up, you know, anytime I have an idea or a concept. Then, to your point, what is Shadow IT even really a concern? If if a user can do anything they want in the approved way, yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, you're a very unique organization. That is not the norm. Fair to say, right? I mean, most enterprises don't have that biodome uh, environment to, to, to play in. So, I mean, it must, um, there's got to be some significant advantages, but do you feel like there's anything you're missing out on? Is there anything, what, I mean, technology's changing so fast. I mean, do you ever feel like maybe, oh, shoot, we should have looked at doing that earlier or something? Um. You know, I've, I've, you know, you run into bumps in the roads. I think when sure. you're running as fast and hard as as we are, you're like, "Oops, didn't see that coming." Um, it, sure. It's like it's anybody in the security business, right? We're we're you know, uh, the business is running at 200 miles an hour. You have people innovating on a daily basis, and they do something. You're like, "Wait, we we can do what? <laughs> huh? We didn't think of that, right?" Like, so you're going to have those issues. Yeah. I think the important part is is how you embrace that as a win for the company rather than, you know, we have a disaster, we have to go fix it. So how do you how do you turn that in as incredible yeah. innovation and now we get to innovate around security? I mean, think about security, you know, I'm getting, I'm just selfish here, but, you know, security risk and privacy, you know, pr- practitioners, um, same old, same old, same standards, same framework, same this, same processes, right? Um, sometimes, you know, we don't get to innovate, but, when you have, when you're in a company that's creating new technology, new products, and you have to go solve our problems, all of a sudden you're in the fight with the engineering groups. You're yeah. supporting their capability to go market fast, right? You can turn that around from "Oh my God, they did it again" to "Ha ha, let's go do this." And and um, so we yeah. we don't re- I don't see it as problematic. I see it as an opportunity to give our teams. Um, you know, alignment into the engineering organizations and the capability to really go discover new things and deliver cool security back to the market. Very cool. Well, Roland, we want to be respectful of your time, but I don't want to let you go until I ask you this because, you know, it's it's something I think about uh, a lot. Um, what are your top three sort of, you know, looking at 2022, it's a very 
I don't know if it's a different landscape. It's a um, it's a lot more obvious of a cybersecurity landscape this year, I think. Uh, you know, some of what's happened, I think, you know, undertones, uh, state-sponsored kind of stuff. There's, you know, now a, a lot of us see it kind of on, on, on the evening news. My, you know, my mom calls me about it kind of thing. So, you know, it, it, if not uh, uh, what all of us have dealt with kind of uh, always, at least uh, now we're all thinking about it in the forefront. What are the top, what are the top let's say, three things in 2022 that risks that that sort of uh, have you concerned and, and that you're thinking about? Wow. You're only giving me three, huh? <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, well, I know this This is going to sound like um, motherhood not apple pie, but, you know, really staying ahead of the next generation threats. I mean, you think about um, – you think about blockchain defense. You think about advanced automation and the use of um, ML and attack methodology. You think of the potential of um, realistic AI as a service in bot farms. Um, how do you defend against that? Right? Uh, you you've got to you got to find it, use it, test it against your existing infrastructure and current control sets, and and so. This is why we we've invested so much in that over the threat you know horizon Intel capability because it's 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 so important and you have to be able to do it at scale. Um, the other one, and this is maybe just my area, but you know, um, data defense and access assurance. You'll you'll hear me talk in my sleep at night about that. I, um, with the globalization and changes specific to data sovereignty, uh, to data regionalization. Mm-hmm. And to requirements just to operate in, in various environments without, you know, problematic issues specific to regulatory concerns or, or things of that nature. Yep. You know, you have to lean in. You have to lean in hard and make sure that not only do you understand it, but you're implementing the capability. And in our, in, in, in our case, that includes operations um, in, in in many different jurisdictions around the world where I think a lot of people used to do hub and spoke. That's not going to work. You have to have in-region capabilities. So how do, how do you not only get data defense right and protect consumer data, but how do you do it in a way that it's acceptable um, with the jurisdictions you operate in? And, and I guess – Everywhere, yeah. Yeah, everywhere. Right, like hundreds of countries, and and I and I would say that the the last thing that I'm you know I really think about when we've really talked about it is right now I in in this year the platform is scaling, the application is scaling, my workforce I I, I have two hundred open positions right now, right. Oh. How do you enable that next generation workforce? Not just how you get them, right? Mm. You can get them. You can go out and find them. You can go to work fairs. You can do all of this cool sure. stuff to get people. How do you keep them, right? How do you enable them, the people that are quite reasonably half my age, that are starting off in their new career, that you want to keep them more than two and three years? You want to invest in them and build them. So how do you enable that next generation workforce in so many different ways, right? So mm. that would be my third. Yeah, that's – and I think that one's a – that's a mystery. That's a tough nut to crack, that one. Well, we're working on it. <laughs> I, well, there's no doubt uh, if you're working on it, you're going to get her done, uh, Roland. I really appreciate you coming on and spending so much time with us today. It was awesome. Uh, thank you very, very much. I was actually really glad that the three biggest concerns you had didn't include me calling you back uh, to be on the program again. So, uh, Grant, I, you know, anytime I get the opportunity, you're a fun guy to hang out with. So uh, thank, thanks for it. And, Patrick, great to meet you. And, uh, you know, maybe, thanks, maybe at RSA or one of those wonderful places we can all get together. That'd be awesome. Sounds great. That'd be awesome. Roland, thanks a ton, man. It's great seeing you, ladies and gentlemen. Roland Claudier, Global Chief Security Officer for TikTok. Thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Hi, everyone. I'm Shira, the CEO of Solvo. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. 
Uh, today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Solvo. So uh, Solvo is a cloud security company uh, that I started about two years ago with my co-founder David. We both worked for another cloud security company and during that time we realized that we are surrounded by a lot of awesome security products um, but the, the common problem we always found is that those products are really good at telling you what you did wrong or what kind of misconfiguration we found in your account or uh, what kind of anomalies we see in your account but are, are not really good at actually helping you to fix that. The best thing we would see is products that uh, in their notifications you have a hyperlink uh, to the relevant documentation uh, in the compliance framework or with the cloud provider. But when users get these kind of notifications, they are usually, uh, um, they have a lot of anxiety. They want to get that issue fixed, especially if it's very critical and uh, sending them to the documentation is not always uh, what they need. They, they actually need a one-click solution that will make their environment um, least privileged, well-configured, compliant. So that was our vision, and this is the idea behind Solvo. Solvo is a security product that doesn't only tell you what is wrong in the existing uh, uh, cloud infrastructure environment, but is also creating the relevant fix for you. And I'm very, very happy to be here with you today to show you what the product looks like. I'm extra happy to be here uh, because we just recently launched a new feature, our compliance feature. I'll be showing that to you in just a few minutes. Um, so let's get started uh, uh, with the product uh, uh, that is called I Am Magnifier. We realized that uh, uh, when you want to inspect your cloud environment, either for security uh, uh, purposes, for uh, uh, intrusion prevention, or just to prove your auditor that you don't have excessive permissions, this is, this is a little tough. You would usually go to your AWS console and try to understand under IAM what kind of permissions you have, who have an access uh, uh, to this specific S3 bucket. And it gets really complicated uh, and not easy to understand. So we wanted to uh, uh, create this uh, one place for you to, to be able to ask all of these questions about a specific resource or a specific kind of access or a specific kind of action that can be executed in your account. And this is what it looks like. So in this case, I'm going to choose um, the environment I wish to inspect. I'm going to inspect my demo account. I would like to take a look at a specific resource. We're going to see uh, uh, other, other types of, of um, queries later. I can choose here a specific type of AWS service. Uh, most popular ones are always uh, S3, DynamoDB, but basically you can put in any ARN from your AWS account and inspect it uh, the same way. So for this example, I'm going to look at S3. I'm going to pick one of my buckets. In this case, I will pick my uh, CloudTrail bucket. I can then choose a specific filter of the access level. Uh, that means that I might want to just check who are the entities that can read an item out of, a, out of this bucket or can write into the bucket and so on. I'm just going to leave all access level on for this uh, demonstration. And let's see what that looks like. So I just click the search button and I'm getting this really uh, big and uh, messy image of my cloud assets. But while it looks quite messy, this is actually very, very simple. On the right-hand side, we're always going to see the type of resource I was asking a question about. In this case, it was an S3 bucket. And on the left-hand side, I'm always going to see the resource that has access to the S3 bucket. In between, I'm going to have the roles and policies that enabled this access. Um, but I know what you're saying. Well, this is a little messy. How can I understand what is going on with this specific bucket that you wanted to inspect? And this is why we have a few filters over here, making it really easy to look and focus uh, on the relevant uh, uh, cloud assets. Uh, this enables us to understand the types of risks 
that are imposed on this specific resource. Again, in this case, we're looking at an S3 bucket. So I can look and understand what are the risks that have for this specific S3 bucket. For example, does it have access to the internet? Does the, is it connected to a specific AWS account? So I can see that this bucket is actually connected to a few AWS accounts. I can see them over here. Um, I can see different accounts. Uh, and I can very easily understand if this access was relevant or not. Uh, you, you should be able to tell uh, if your buckets are connected to an external account or not, and if that was necessary or not. In this case, this bucket is not widely open to the internet. If it would have been, then I would have seen here, instead of zero, some other cloud assets. Some other uh, uh, nice filters I have here are AWS users. So I can easily see which users have uh, any kind of access into this bucket. And if this is an excessive access that I did not intend for user number two to have, I can then go to the uh, configuration page for that user and remove that uh, uh, specific access or alternatively get the solver policy that is relevant for this user. Um, so we can create different kinds of filters using the magnifier. I can also take a look at a specific action. Uh, uh, there are many risky AWS um, actions. Uh, you can actually check out Solvo's website, see under our blog, uh, a blog that we wrote about risky AWS actions that uh, very often go under the radar. One of them, uh, or one that I would definitely recommend all of you to check out is um, Zoom Roll, which is uh, uh, the way AWS enabled for us uh, to connect uh, 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 to different AWS accounts uh, or different entities connecting to different accounts. And in this case, I can see that there are a bunch of entities, including users, including an account, including a Lambda function that can uh, execute the assume role action in my account. And this actually might be very risky and something I might want to prevent. So as I said before, in this case, I was taking a look at the Lambda function. Um, that can uh, uh, can do this assume role, and later I'm going to show you how I remove this uh, uh, kind of excessive permission uh, quite effortless, effortless, effortlessly, I must say. Um, so this is the IAM magnifier, and it's available on our website right now. I would now uh, uh, want to jump uh, to our compliance feature. This is a new feature uh, uh, that we recently released. Uh, uh, we built it because we've been uh, uh, getting uh, requests from our users saying that they need an easy way to understand how compliant or non-compliant their uh, AWS or Azure accounts are. And this is why we created this little dashboard for them, showing them their AWS accounts and how compliant or not compliant they are, depending on the frameworks and rules that the users themselves set for each account. So in this case, uh, we're just looking at the dashboard that I have for this account right now and the specific frameworks that we chose uh, uh, to run and check. Once you have activated uh, uh, the rules, you don't have to initiate a scan. This is something that we do continuously. So every time you come and check your dashboard, what you see right now is uh, uh, correct to this specific moment. By the way, you are able to take a look at what happened three months ago and compare the two. So again, when you're going through an audit, it's really easy to show your auditor the improvements that you made uh, uh, throughout the year or throughout the specific period you're checking out. Now, I would actually like to um, clean clean this uh, uh, dashboard and show you uh, uh, how I got to see what we're seeing right now. So I just deleted it and I'm going to start it fresh. Uh, here are Solvo's uh, rules uh, uh, that we created and pre-built in our uh, uh, rule engine, but uh, in just a few days, or maybe by the time this uh, uh, video is already aired, it's already live, uh, you can put in your own rules 
using the OPA uh, project, the Open Policy Agent. This is a, a, an open source framework where you can build your own rules depending on you know, your internal regulations or what you want your uh, cloud environment to be compliant for. You can choose specific bundles. You can choose all of them. I'm going to choose all of them for the sake of this demo. I'm going to give the name. And the description. And I will choose all of my accounts. And I'm going to run it. So right now, uh, we are activating uh, uh, all of those rules and the bundles and uh, uh, you can see the progress. This is going to take just a couple of minutes uh, 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 to see all the results. Right now you see that uh, zero out of 90 rules have been uh, uh, ran, but in just a few minutes we're going to see um, the whole thing coming uh, uh, to life. While it is, uh, it is running this, uh, this kind of scan, I'm going to show you uh, our inventory page. So this is our inventory page. Uh, it shows you some of the uh, AWS assets that we can uh, help you uh, manage and get uh, their security configuration for. Um, and before, when we looked at the IAM magnifier, we looked at a Lambda function that can uh, do the assume role action. So now I'm going to show you how we eliminate excessive permissions instead of going uh, asset by asset and policy by policy, trying to figure out what is excessive and what is not, we have created a product that continuously monitors all of your cloud assets. And instead of taking the existing security policy and trying to maybe remove or maybe adjust what's unnecessary, we just completely create a new security policy that is specifically made for every cloud asset because we know that every application has a unique context, has a unique need, uh, uh, so we cannot impose, impose the same set of rules on uh, uh, everyone's infrastructure or, you know, two organizations are very different and using Lambda functions in a different way, so we cannot expect their Lambda functions to work in the same way. So. In this page, I can see all of my Lambda functions uh, in this account, and I can sort them uh, based on severity, uh, uh, looking at you know critical, uh, usually uh, uh, first, and then uh, uh, all the other ones uh, later on. Uh, I have one uh, Lambda function here at a high severity that is ready for review, means that Solvo uh, was able to produce a new security policy for this Lambda, the production of a new security policy is very short. It could be anything between a few minutes to a few hours, but once ready, uh, uh, you will see a ready for review status. And over here, I can see the existing security policy of the Lambda, but before I do that, let me show you something. Based on Solvo's analysis, I can see that this, this Lambda has uh, access to total AWS uh, uh, services, while it only needs access to seven so the other are excessive. Uh, the Lambda only needs to execute 12 actions, but it can execute more than 600. Here I can see the existing security policy of the Lambda. Uh, this is an inline policy created by a naughty developer, lots of wildcards, and an AWS managed policy, which you are all very well familiar with, has a lot of excessive access. When I click on the get policy suggestion over here, this is a Solvo's policy, a policy that was created uniquely for this Lambda function. Let me focus on S3 just so that it's not a too long of a policy to look at. As you can see, instead of S3 wildcard as we had before, over here I have S3 delete object and S3 get object related not to S3 wildcard, but to a specific resource, a specific bucket in my account, a specific partition, and even a specific file type. While for the put object action, uh, it is associated to a different resource, different partition, and different file type. So this is how a Solvo policy is generated based on the unique needs of every cloud asset. And just before we go, Let's take a look back at the compliance page. 
where all the rules have been ran and we can see the status we actually saw it before um, we can see uh, all of the cloud assets uh, uh, the severity of their finding and to which framework are they related um, so uh, uh, it's really easy um, to to go ahead and fix those findings in this case I have a bucket uh, um, that is with a critical finding Patrick are we done uh, we are, the time is up. So I, I will just wrap up by saying that now I know which bucket of mine did not uh, pass uh, this rule that uh, is related to the SOC 2 and ISO. So uh, uh, in this case, you already know what is next. I can take this ARN, put it in the IM magnifier, see the map of access into this specific S3 bucket, and then I can go back to our inventory page, to the S3 button, and get a new security policy for this uh, S3 bucket that is list privileged. We also have an automation, so you actually don't have to do this entire process manually. You can just trigger an automation and get a Slack notification with the new security policy for this S3 bucket. Uh, and here I'm going to stop. <laughs>